leading a culture of risk, failure, and innovation. Welcome to episode number 15, and welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Ryan Ferran. We are talking public relations and digital communications, as we always do. I had the great pleasure of being on a webinar presentation, a panel, if you will, for the Arcadia Unified School District alongside our superintendent, Dr. Van Osdahl, our chief technology officer, Scott Bramley, and our chief strategy and innovation officer, Greg Gazanian, yesterday for district administration, which is a national publication and organization and doing a little research. Uh, pretty impressive that they are the most widely received and most read publication for school district leaders in the country. So a great opportunity that uh, we were honored with that they asked us to be on their webinar talking about uh, culture and building a culture of risk, failure, and innovation and how to create, encourage, and cultivate a culture where those things can take place and ultimately that can lead to great things happening for education. So it's an honor to be a part of that panel with my esteemed colleagues and to do it for this national publication. It was really a fascinating conversation. There's over 160 people that signed up for the webinar. There was 50 people about on it live. And what I found pretty fascinating and a testament to my colleagues is that every single one of those people stayed on the entire time. And then most of them, all but maybe one or two, stayed on for the Q&A portion, which I'll play for you as well. So that that is what episode number 15 is, is this webinar we did. It's about an hour long with the Q&A, and it's just a fascinating listen for even myself, who works with these guys every day, but to hear Dr. Van Alstall, Greg, and Scott just kind of talk about what they do and how it really brings together the big picture for education. And every time I sit down with them and do one of these conferences or webinars, I, I learn something myself. So I know that people that were listening got a lot out of it and they were tuned in the whole time, which was great. So I think you will like it as well. That's why I wanted to turn it into a podcast. Our presentation, our slides will be in the description of the podcast. So if you want to follow along with the visuals, that will be there for you in the description as well. And I want to give a big thanks to Kurt from District Administration who did the moderating. I think he did a great job and he really organized us and helped us with everything we needed. So thank you, Kurt. So here you go. Kurt will set it up, give you a brief description of kind of what we talked about. You'll hear about 10 minutes each from all of us, the four district folks from Arcadia Unified, and then we'll do some Q&A, which is also very interesting. And a big thanks to Acer and Intel, who hosted and sponsored the webinar. Enjoy, everybody. Okay, hello there, everyone, and welcome to today's District Administration Web Seminar. It's great to have you all with us. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Kurt Isley Durley. I'm the magazine's Web Seminar Editor and I'll be your moderator. The title of our event, as you see here, is Leading a Culture of Risk, Failure, and Innovation. And it's being brought to you through the generous support of our sponsors for today, Acer and Intel. First, as our audience is still uh, coming in here, a bit of background about our topic for today. Before transformative change can occur in a school system, the culture must be ready for it. Fostering a culture where new ideas are welcomed, 
Risks are taken and failures are learned from will enable innovation to flourish and lay the groundwork for the success of any future initiative. At the Arcadia USD in California, administrators have created a thriving culture of innovation for all staff and students. Today we're joined by some of the leadership team from Arcadia USD who will be discussing how they built and lead a culture of innovation in their district and some ideas for doing the same in your school system, including how to make organizational changes that overcome traditional barriers to innovation and how to quickly implement changes that often take districts years to accomplish. We're looking forward to a very interesting presentation and discussion, uh, plus live Q&A. We do welcome your questions. Okay, so with that, uh, on to our program. Uh, as I said earlier, we are very fortunate to have uh, the team here from Arcadia USD. Uh, David Fanazdal is superintendent there. Uh, Scott Bramley is chief technology officer. Ryan Foran is chief communications officer. And Greg Gazanian is chief strategy and innovation officer. Uh, they're all there together in the same room there in Arcadia, and so at this point, I will turn it over to them. Gentlemen, it's great to have you with us here today. Welcome to our web seminar. Great. Thank you so much for having us. Um, as uh, we get started here, um, I just wanted to give you a little background about where we are and who we are, and um, so we are a school district of 11 schools and just under 10,000 students um, in Arcadia, California, which is approximately 13 miles north northeast of Los Angeles, as you can see on the map. Um, and uh, just want to go ahead and jump right into it. So I'm going to put you on with uh, David Van Osdal, our superintendent. Great to be here, everyone. Uh, good fortune to serve as superintendent in Arcadia. I decided to start with kind of the end in mind and, and at the end of the journey of where we are currently. Um, what you're seeing on the screen is a culmination of a year-long process and we kind of use the, the old-fashioned accordion process of uh, interviewing a lot of staff, um, 360 in the community, parents, uh, administrators, etc., um, to really uh, emerge what our purpose, why we exist as a school district, and, and then the values that we practice every day in our behaviors. Um, what we came up with to challenge, our purpose is to challenge and inspire students to make a positive and profound impact on their world. And we, we often kind of tease that out that we have students that are creating apps that uh, are dispensing medication for their grandparents in China, um, which is gonna be something they'll be uh, developing and selling on a, on a international scale. That's, that's an impact. That's profound, and we also have students that take uh, their craft of playing an instrument and going to the, the local hospital and, and uh, cheering up patients, and, and that's profound as well. Um, so there's a lot of scope in between those things. Our values, collaborate, think critically, be creative, offer empathy, and that last one, learn from failure. I, I always want to um, emphasize that. We, we discuss that one the most because uh, for a high-performing uh, school district to uh, decide to put the word failure uh, prominently in the lobby of your uh, district office 
um, it gets a lot of question, but um, it's that important that, that we remind ourselves that we come from an environment where um, it, it's expected over the traditionally that we were experts and that we, you know, you only ask questions when you know the answer, et cetera. Um, so we're very proud of this work. And again, it emerged uh, from what we have. So now let me go back and um, talk about some pain points that became levers for our work. And um, we like to model and share failure uh, because that's the thing that um, that is the work that we're trying to uh, model for our district. Um, I want to talk uh, specifically about uh, when I was principal at Arcadia High School uh, several years back. And uh, Arcadia High School is a large, high-performing school, about 4,000 students. Um, and one particular student that uh, um, I was working with at the time um, was uh, Mirai Magasu. And uh, uh, Mirai, if, if you uh, recognize the name, um, you just watched representing the United States in the uh, women's um, uh, figure skating. Uh, and uh, she uh, also won the uh, national championship for women um, years before that. Uh, when she won that, she was a high school student at our high school, Arcadia High School. And um, obviously, I quickly got to know Mirai, and, and she started having a lot of uh, schedule issues with training and uh, getting ready for Olympics, etc. She became quite the celebrity. And, uh, you know, we, we did our best to work with her. One particular day, um, I asked a counselor uh, how Mirai's doing, you know, what's she up to? And they said, oh, you haven't heard, Mirai, uh, she withdrew. Um, and I was shocked and because and she, you know, really appreciated um, her school home as kind of her safe place amongst this crazy world that she was in now. And uh, so I was pretty shocked when I um, asked a little deeper, found out that um, we asked her to withdraw as a school district because um, her schedule could not be accommodated anymore by us. Um, I'll tell you personally why I share that story, because not only was that a reflection of a system that was not built for kids, um, it was not student-centric, um, it was adult-centric, um, but it was so solid and so you know, set in its ways that no one believed they should even tell the principal that this was happening and that there was any chance of us working with Mirai um, to accommodate her schedule. So that's a pain point that's personal for me. We've got many of these stories that, that we could share. And uh, so from, from these, this pain kind of evolved this, this thought of uh, we, we shouldn't do this to students. Uh, you know, there has to be a better way to um, carry on our traditions, and, uh, but also be agile and flexible enough to um, you know, change with the times. So we believe that most assumptions about public education in America have been challenged or blown up the last couple of years. That's all it's happening around us with the content, the open source online courses, all the competition that we have now as public school entities, school funding um, being up and down, and, and of course the connected learning. We just really believe we have a small window that um, for the first time in the, the history of education, public education, we have an opportunity to define and reimagine what it's going to look like. I believe our forefathers did a brilliant job creating this model for when it was relevant 150 years ago, and now it's our opportunity, so we have to seize the day. We expect and hope that at the end of the day, um, when the dust settles, that um, we are um, openly creating and accessing the very best instruction resources and individualized learning for our students. We will create and participate in open source professional learning networks, not just across the hall, but across um, the nation and the world. 
um, and we will unite as educators and, uh, and, and accomplish this. So that's our drive. Uh, we can't do this work alone, um, as I just mentioned over and over about uh, collaborating and, and uh, reaching out. Um, we kind of redefined how we see partners. We no longer um, hire vendors, so to speak. We no longer buy products from people. Um, our day has come in public education. Um, we've earned the right um, to, to be equal partners with enterprise. And so we kind of uh, created a new template, and it goes like this. Um, we will only partner with companies that share our vision uh, for, for teaching and learning, um, that will co-create products with us side by side, and that we pay as we go. No longer will we buy a textbook that's supposed to be good for seven years and pay up front when all of us have an iPhone in our pocket that um, updates overnight. It's just unacceptable anymore. And once we change that mindset, it was amazing how quickly, um, as superintendent, I'm no longer sitting in a room with salesmen. I'll sit with the CEO of a company, and that's it. And once we kind of held ourselves to that expectation, um, it quickly fell in place. We're very proud of our partners, um, especially our work recently with uh, Alt School with their uh, personalized learning platform that we're going to scale across our entire district over a three-year period. Um, just opened a new lab school to begin that work. Uh, great things are happening. So at the end of that, it's just real simple. Our students and colleagues are depending on us to ask what if. And that's a hard question to constantly uh, get thrown back in my face because I'm giving everyone permission at every meeting to ask what if we did it this way, what if there was a better way, and that's in the business side of the house as well as the uh, academic side. Okay. So what does that look like in other areas of the organization and things that we've done? So. Um, I really like the Google Transformation Framework as kind of a model of how we operate as a school district, but a lot of the work was done before we ever actually saw this model. Um, I think the areas of vision and culture are extremely important to um, successfully um, operating as an organization today. Um, you certainly need the why, as David talked about, which um, can be found in our purpose and our values. Um, and the most important piece on here to me is the culture. I've been in Arcadia Unified School District for 27 years, and it's been a great place to work um, for that entire time. But about five or six years ago, some things um, changed in the way we operate and, and made me realize that the, that culture piece is so important to the success of an organization. So um, I highly encourage anybody out there to check out this framework and, and look at all the different areas because this is really a, an accurate um, picture of what a school district looks like. All these areas have different, you know, professional development and learning, our ed services and human resources, community engagement is your communications team. Um, Culture encompasses the whole organization. Technology is obvious. Funding and sustainability is needed for almost any um, implementation you're going to work with. And, and you'll notice that there are lines between all of these different areas. And if the communication and the collaboration within this model isn't there, it creates roadblocks. And roadblocks stop innovation. For example, as the chief technology officer, if I'm constantly saying no to things, because of security reasons, 
I'm putting roadblocks in and halting innovation. Um, in the culture we've created, uh, the first answer to things is almost never no. The answer is, okay, what do we need to do to make this happen? And so I'm going to share a few examples of what that looks like um, in, in what we've done with technology. So I became the director of technology in 2008 which was in the middle of the worst fiscal crisis in California school history, and I quickly became the keeper of old technology. My job was to bandage things and make them work for as long as I possibly could. And it would have been... The word was cannibalized. Right? Uh, yeah, These pretty much. Parts, so, yeah. so, at the time, you would have had a hard time convincing me that this was all a positive thing, but in hindsight, 10 years later, it's easy to look back and say that this created great opportunity for us. We weren't spending money on the current technology between 2008 and 2012, which really was not a great scalable technology, especially for in our classrooms. So we didn't invest a lot of money into that technology that we had to figure out how to use at the time. The most important thing um, that I'm going to tell you today, I believe, is that it forced us to build capacity within our technology department to support our own systems, to install, configure, maintain, and support all of those systems. What that means is we had budget cuts that caused us to eliminate all of our technology consultants and we had to figure it out. Um, and I would encourage any director or chief technology officer at this point to work towards that goal because when you support your own systems, um, you take pride in it and you you do everything it takes to keep those systems running and your users feel it um, immediately on the end. It also, um, change used to be a big scary thing in our technology department. Changing systems, you know, we were so concerned about what impact that was going to have. Um, by 2012, we had to change our systems and people had to adapt to it. And what we found out was that that change wasn't as scary and difficult as we thought it would be. eBay is on there and you're probably thinking, why is eBay on that list of things? Well, during those years, we had to do anything to keep those systems running. And we quickly learned that some expensive networking equipment um, could be purchased for pennies on the dollar um, off of eBay. and at that time, we had no choice but to do that. By 2012 to 2016, when we started to have that choice, we realized that some essential equipment could be purchased that way for pennies on the dollar, and instead of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a piece of equipment, we could spend $300 on a piece of equipment and put that money back into the classroom. It may come on a pallet with duct tape, but uh, <laughs> if you're concerned about a warranty, you just buy two because they're so cheap. So an example of that, and, and that, that's really that's the biggest question I would get about that, is what about redundancy? And I would say our redundancy is purchasing multiple devices. So we have a beautiful brand new $10 million performing arts center that has quite a bit of networking equipment that would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars um, that we purchased for about $500 and it's been running in that. And it's, keep in mind, this is the exact same equipment we would have purchased new. Um, and so we found ways to save money where we can so that we can put that money back into our classrooms. I immediately get the question, or, or 
looks from people saying, we can't do that in our district. Well, that collaboration, that vision, that culture allowed us to ask those questions and allowed us to go out and make those decisions. And at the end of the day, it helps in our classrooms. Um, by not investing in that non-scalable technology, uh, by 2012, when money started to come back, we were able to start looking at things like our one-to-one -one piloting devices, much more scalable devices like the Chromebook were available by this time. Uh, we had to change our email system, so we moved to Google Apps for Education, which of course saved us hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in hardware and software that would have been required to change email systems. Um, that money was able to go back into other things. Um, the blueprint that we used for our one-to-one -one rollout has been the blueprint we've used for many different things like our professional development rollout that David's going to talk about. It's being used currently for our personalized learning rollout, which David alluded to earlier. And, and the partnership piece is incredibly important as well. Um, companies like Acer, Ubiquity Networks, Google Apps for Education, those are all companies that are listening to us, listening to our needs. Acer has the Acer Education Advisory Committee, and we see the recommendations that are made in that uh, committee come out in their product line each year. We know they're listening. Google Apps is constantly changing based on feedback, and Ubiquity Networks is a company that was built entirely on the concept of disruptive pricing. We've deployed over 750 access points, um, many security cameras, um, with, with no ongoing costs for probably a tenth of the price of the, uh, the major enterprise uh, companies and so finding those companies to partner with and getting outside the box and and you not just using what everybody else is using has been key to our success um, I'm going to quickly move through my other slides this is used in so many presentations that um, but I still love it because all those twists and turns of what success really looks like can be handled much more quickly and with much more agility if you have that culture built in and the communication and collaboration working within your leadership. And then these are just some of the things that are keys to success. The last thing I'm going to share with you is the making decisions based on what is best for students. Something we started in our technology department but has become kind of an overreaching um, thing in our organization is we ask two questions about things to determine whether we should should try them in our organization. Is it legal and is it good for kids? And if the answer to both is yes, then we will support the teachers and staff in, in trying those different things. And yeah, so I'll, I'll jump back in here. It's David again. Uh, we often think of technology when we talk about innovation, so we like to um, give some examples of 360 in our organization um, where we're using it. So one of them is in professional development. Uh, I happen to be doing my dissertation on this topic a couple years ago. And um, so we wanted to kind of apply these rules to uh, professional development. And so um, this big question, is professional development being created for me or done to me, right? That's the guiding question if you're a teacher. Um, we want it to feel like it's something for them, not to them. So what if we no longer use the traditional model that was top down, one size fits all, the you know, traditional sit and get? What if instead um, we incorporated the four C's, create a flat organization, 
um, and it's teacher generated and self-selected. So it, you know, all the good research has been around forever. We just haven't utilized it. It's about choice and sustainability and self-guidance. So these are the variables that we put in. Um, go ahead. Yeah. There we go. So uh, we asked the question, um, you know, why not? Um, why not uh, create horizontal and vertical articulation um, uh, groups that are TK through 12? So part of those parameters for these groups, these self-guided groups in our district, is that um, it has, has to be vertically aligned. So there's going to be an elementary teacher, middle and high school, all sitting together tackling these big district level challenges. And uh, so we have seven days, seven minimum days throughout the year. We added three school days for the kids at the end of the year and then uh, took the time back in these seven minimum days. So teachers uh, create these groups and the big question is what are the big issues? You know, administrators are so good at finding problems and then bringing people in to help solve them. But what we know is that when you involve people in finding out the problems and the challenges and, and they're helping you identify them, then they're naturally right there with you to um, find the solutions. And, and they're the best ones to do that. Um, so they created the groups. And the only question is, what are the big challenges we have in the district? What do you want to solve that your colleagues are dealing with? They create the groups, and then they self-opt um, in to the groups. And they stay with those groups for a semester or a full year. And a lot of those groups end up creating um, programs or things that they actually present to the board for approval. There's no administrators involved. They're all, all self-guided, but there's clear um, guidelines and products at the end. Uh, key being on those relationships as well. It's amazing how many, that's good, it was amazing how many uh, of our teachers didn't know teachers from other school sites or had never even set foot on another school site. So it really brought this, the community together, uh, understanding they all work for Arcadia. All right, hand it over to Ryan. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. So how do we cultivate, embrace, and attract this culture of risk, failure, and innovation? One of the significant approaches for us is doing that through communications and storytelling. So we want people to know what we're doing so they can see it and they want to be a part of it. We want these thought leaders. We want the best teachers. We want the best parents that are innovative. You know, how do we get them into our lab school? Um, so people need to know about it, not only in our community, but in our region, in our state, and we even have students internationally as well. So a big part of this culture piece is communication and storytelling. You need to tell your story, get control of it, and the two major ways we do that here in Arcadia is through media relations and social media. So. The great thing about being in Los Angeles, where we are located, is it's the second largest media market in the United States. Now, this is a picture of a board meeting that what, you know, we probably are breaking out into a cold sweat here looking at. And one of the worst things about being in Los Angeles is, again, it's the second largest media market in the United States. So we know the media will always cover the ABCs of education. Anything controversial bad news or catastrophe but being a former news reporter myself we also know that they will cover a lot of positive news the culture and the climate in media now is everyone has downsized they are running on on slim news teams so they're looking for news to cover um, and if you tell them that's kind of my biggest piece of advice 
Well, my first two would be if you don't have somebody leading communications in your district, I would highly recommend that. It's not only for culture building, but for passing parcel taxes, bond measures, transparency piece and all that. We're a district of about 10,000 students and we have two people in my department working on communications full time. So it's a big piece of what we do. When I first got here about five years ago, schools, principals, district administration, they're a little wary uh, when they get phone calls from the media and working with the media. But having worked in the media for my previous career, I knew the potential and opportunity that came with media. So we had a culture shift with our media relations strategy was we were going to be much more open with the media. We're going to invite them to campus, good or bad news. We're going to give interviews. And most importantly, we're going to send press releases and story ideas to them. Again, the media wants good stories and they will help tell yours. There's so much competition now with online media, their podcasts, the blogs and the like. Um, they're really looking for good stories to tell. And if you tell them uh, what those stories are, nine out of 10 times, if it's a legitimate story, they are going to tell it. Last year, we were fortunate to have every um, Ivy League school in the country accept at least one of our high school students. Um, and this was for the second straight year. So we got this data from our high school and we sent out a media advisory. So one of my big pieces with media relations is make it easy for the media. So tell them the story, tell them the storylines, set up the interviews, set up the location. Um, and when you send those press releases, you're doing 90% of the work for them. So you'll notice in these headlines, they all look very similar because that's what we sent them. It was legitimate. They, they trust our relationship I have with them. So they ran the story. So you'll notice that there's a lot of organizations there, um, Fox, ABC. So there was two reporters there, but more media outlets pick, picked up the story and ran it. Um, that's because we sent them the information afterwards if they couldn't make it. Uh, we had a live reporter there doing the story during graduation. Um, so what this does for us is creating that culture is it helps attract other teachers who want to be a part of it. Uh, everyone's in declining enrollment with students, so it helps people want to come here, and it really helps um, embrace that culture that we're all talking about. So another thing we do, uh, we pride ourselves on being an innovative district, kind of cutting edge, is we help tell these stories that are happening in our classroom through the media as well. So when we have a teacher like Christine Pino here, uh, one of the kind of, I guess, philosophies and theories was that kindergartners were a little too young to be on Chromebooks, uh, to be working with technology, but she came in and really did wonders with Chromebooks and uh, with kinder, kindergarten students. And so we sent out this story to the media. They came, did a remarkable piece on the news that thousands and thousands of people see. And one of the things for attracting cutting edge teachers is they want to go to a district where they're going to kind of push the envelope, push the edge, and that's what she's doing to great success. Um, and there's kind of a funny backstory, uh, long story short, about Christine Pino and putting your brand out there. She kind of saw our Innovation Summit. We do once every year for the past four years on Twitter through social media, came to it. We realized she 
was looking for employment the next year. Um, our chief technology officer, who you just heard from, Scott, kind of talked to her. Long story sh short, she now works for us. She has, I don't know, over 20,000 followers on Twitter. So what she does helps brand us, and it kind of brings that whole media, social media piece together. And it's just been a kind of a great fit for us and what we're doing. Um, several years ago, about 2011, we were... Her, we had a complaint filed against us by the Federal Department of Justice on behalf of a family. Um, now, there's nothing really wrong that we did in this situation with a transgender student. It was kind of a, a music camp that was away from our campus, but the Department of Justice wanted to ensure that policies and uh, practices were in place to properly help the student. And we actually had a great relationship with the student. Uh, they just graduated to great success, doing great things. But the narrative in the media that kept being told whenever there was a, a story about a transgender student issue in schools, we would always be brought back up as the first school district in the country to have to work with the Department of Justice is Arcadia Unified. So the narrative was very negative and having an open kind of media philosophy and having a superintendent like Dr. Banastal who is willing to share our story and what works you know, we got a call from the Associated Press one day um, asking about our situation with trans transgender students and how we deal with it. And it's a little nerve-wracking because if you know the Associated Press, every media outlet in the country kind of subscribes to it and it has a very wide reach. But, you know, we said, let's change the narrative on this because this was a positive story for us. This wasn't negative. So Dr. Van Alstall did the interview with the Associated Press. It gets picked up by probably a couple hundred media outlets in its entirety or in pieces throughout the country. So when ABC 2020 was doing a follow-up to the Caitlyn Jenner um, story with Diane Sawyer, what they really liked in that piece uh, that David did with the Associated Press was when he talked about, and I underlined it in that last slide, is when you get the lawyers out of the room and work with the family and get it at the core and the heart of what you do to benefit students, that's um, really what turned this situation and helped. So Diane Sawyer loved that. And that opportunity we did with the Associated Press, which we got because of our new culture with the open relationship with the media, led to Dr. Van Alstall being interviewed uh, on ABC 2020 to a viewership of six to seven million people on national television and it allowed us to tell our story um, and turn that negative narrative around um, and now Dr. Van Alsdall gets calls you know at least two or three times a week from superintendents and parents across the country who are struggling with this you know very sensitive issue in schools about his expertise and now we're seen as a leader on this topic thanks to our media relations approach that we had with it. So in the past year and four or five years since I've been here we really push media relations we track them on our website so if you go to our website you will see a list of stories um, and they're all positive stories when I first got here 2013 the prior year we were lucky to have maybe eight nine stories out in the local media my first year I really pushed media relations we got up to 31 kept growing, cultivating those relationships. The following year, we had almost 50. You'll see the next year, 66. Last year, we had 100 
positive media stories, and that's local, regional, statewide, and international, because we work with international media as well. But that's the process of helping to grow and kind of cultivate those media relations and pitching those stories. Now, social media is a big piece of that as well. When the media doesn't pick up your story, you have your own media network, and social media is huge for that. So when I first got here, I wanted to establish a communications campaign through social media with our website or newsletter, but again, through digital social media. So our Facebook has a huge following, our Twitter, Instagram, Weibo, YouTube. Um, our YouTube is now pushing 300 videos, um, and, and the minutes watched actually equals, I did the math the other day, about 608 straight days if you were to watch every um, minute of what has been viewed on our YouTube channel. So social media has been another great outreach to help tell our story and to you know attract those, again, those education leaders that they we want working with us. This is an adorable little story that we had at a, our public school's luncheon. Our kindergartner kids did a Justin Timberlake, uh, his song, Can't Stop the Feeling. It was adorable. Now, it was on Fox 11, ABC, KTLA. Were they all at our public school's luncheon? Absolutely not. I made it easy for them. I sent them the video. It went viral. Um, it not only went off on their social media, but they ran the story on their news sites. So one story that took me five minutes to videotape, maybe an hour to put a, a media advisory together and send out, reached more than one million people. So the branding you get with that is just absolutely priceless. So that's why we believe in social media so much. Our marching band at the high school, very prominent, uh, does such a great job for us. They were in the Rose Parade once again. I did a quick little live video on Facebook as they were rehearsing for the Rose Parade. Almost 70,000 people reached through social media. There's still some districts that are a little scared of social media, but the positive branding and all the comments from alumni were just absolutely amazing to see. Teacher shortage in California, we're dealing with it in the country. Everyone's struggling trying to get plans to attract and hire teachers. We don't have that issue here. When we post our jobs on Facebook because we've spent so much time and invested in social media, this one post for our jobs reached over 8,000 people. You can see the comments and the shares down there. So that really helps, uh, the social media helps attract some of these education leaders that we really uh, want to attract in our district and that have been working with us. And now I'm going to turn it over to Greg Gazanian. All right, thank you, Ryan. So uh, in preparing for this, uh, what we're sharing in this presentation, I thought I'd start with the most common question I get asked as the Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer for the district. And that question is, uh, is that your real, uh, real job title or did you just make it up? And uh, the truth is, yes, both, both are true. Uh, so a few years ago, as we have been going through this transition that uh, both Scott, David, and Ryan described, uh, we realized that the traditional way of doing things in education just wasn't working. Uh, we were slow moving. And, you know, I think uh, public education, for better or for worse, gets a, a, a bad rap or are traditionally viewed as being this hierarchy, you know, slow moving and we can't adjust fast enough. So uh, the Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer position was created with the intent purpose of having someone in the organization who operates outside of the traditional hierarchy. Um, so I report directly to David, uh, the superintendent, and my job, uh, I believe he first told me to just go out and break things, but we've refined <laughs> it a little bit since then. Um, 
I pretty much get to travel the district. I get to hear things people are excited about, their concerns, uh, but more than anything else, uh, really establish where we want to go as a district and then take away the barriers that prevent us from getting there. So uh, I wanted to loop back real quick to the um, uh, purpose and value statement process that we went through um, last year, actually. And uh, it really, truly was a one-year process where we engaged pretty much everyone in the organization. Uh, I got to go out and uh, I was honored to get to sit with our principals, with our teachers, with our parents, with our students, and ask, you know, what is Arcadia about? What is education about? Uh, what do we want to put on the wall? Uh, like many districts before the process last year, we had paragraph after paragraph on the wall, and uh, it was it was really important. And, uh, and I don't think it's uncommon to have uh, mission statements, purpose statements that get kind of lost in the weeds. But we really realized that it was time to revisit it when we were going through job applications one day, and we read a job application, and for their purpose on their job application, we said, you know, this is stuff we haven't talked about in years. What would compel someone to put this on the very front page of their job application? And embarrassingly, we realized that they'd actually taken our mission statement and put it on their job application, and we didn't recognize it anymore. It, it was uh, both a literal and, and a figure, uh, figurative moment of, uh, you know, recognition that we needed to change. So in talking with these folks, uh, went over, you know, dozens of hours of interviews, we realized that we didn't need the, the paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. What we really needed to nail down to was we wanted to challenge and inspire our students to make a positive and profound impact on their world. And we needed to nail down these values. In other words, how are we operating as we innovate? As we move more quickly, it's more important than ever to build that strong foundation. Um, so I'll touch on a little bit, but you know, we really do focus on collaboration, thinking critically, being creative, being as empathetic as possible, and learning uh, from our mistakes moving forward. So one of the big uh, other things we realize that we're going through right now is uh, while the hierarchy, uh, the traditional, uh, you know, collection of people uh, operating within the district moves a little too slow, it's absolutely essential. Uh, we are responsible for our students' safety. We are responsible for giving students these opportunities. And uh, we thought early on, we want to be like a startup. We want to be like a startup, but we quickly realized that School districts aren't startups. Uh, startups are generally designed to strap a rocket on the back of an idea, and if it you know, goes into orbit and it's great, that's great, and if not, it burns out. We don't have that option as a public agency and what we owe our community and our parents, our, and our parents and our students. What we did realize, and this is based on a model by John Cotter called the uh, dual operating system, we can take our hierarchy, which has served us very well for the last 150 years of education, and we can look at what's called the network. In other words, small groups of uh, teachers, of staff, of students who are moving towards those new goals, who are moving towards personalized learning, who are moving towards competency-based education, and new ways of thinking about education as a whole. And people can do that very quickly. They can pull together groups where they're passionate about. David described the uh, small working group, the SWAG system, that's been very successful. Uh, so we've worked really hard to embrace the, uh, the benefit of the traditional hierarchical and even the bureaucratic system, but link it to these mini groups uh, that can move us forward as a district. So a few other things I work on in my role as the Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer. Uh, I spend a lot of time with those groups that I just described. Uh, on the left side, uh, you'll see a picture of a design thinking session with an elementary school. And the elementary school really wanted to find uh, new ways to uh, engage uh, students, to uh, partially through a pullout program, but partially within the classrooms with uh, these unique groups of students. And these teachers were great. Uh, if you see behind them, there are massive numbers of post-it notes, creative thinking. Uh, we utilize the design thinking 
thinking model, which is uh, very popular at Google and uh, with uh, other uh, startups. And it's just a new way of thinking about things. You know, traditionally, we'd have the massive uh, commission or organization uh, or committee, and uh, now we can just spin those up real quickly. On the right side, I think we started to mention it. Uh, we, as far as I know, we hold a record. If, if we don't, please let me know. But we actually opened up a lab school in 60 days in our district. And what that is is uh, 32 middle schoolers who actually go to school in the uh, bottom story of our district office. And uh, we utilize that to try new ideas in education. Um, so, for example, you see a little swinging pod chair, which is the first thing people notice, but also whiteboard tables. Uh, what's off camera a little bit is actually a uh, refrigerator with healthy snacks that these kids can go uh, grab any time. This is our incubator, and we're trying new things across the district, but uh, the parents and the students and everyone in this classroom here at the district office in our lab school realize that we're going to push the envelope while still doing no harm. So I've had the uh, opportunity and the honor to um, celebrate and support those processes and really just travel the district to support these uh, innovative opportunities. Also, one of the big things uh, I've gotten to do this year is just build uh, partnerships outside of our district and collaborate. Uh, so I spent a lot of time going to conferences, talking with other uh, superintendents, districts, foundations, and what I'm realizing more and more is that there's a lot of people trying to do what's best for students across the country and across the world. Um, you know, we went through transition, uh, many of you may remember, towards uh, personal learning communities a few years ago and professional learning communities where teachers and staff are getting together. What we're seeing now is just a need and a drive to build networks of district and schools. Uh, we all have different parts of the puzzle uh, pieces, uh, whether you're a private school, public school, charter school, nonprofit, foundation, we're figuring this out together. In fact, I'd go so far to, as to say um, we're running the world's largest concurrent experiment. Uh, people are being educated uh, in every town, every village, every city in the world. Uh, and we're trying to get better at uh, building that collaboration through sharing through different mediums. So that's a small pitch. If you're interested in collaborating, please let us know. We'd love to have those conversations. Um, but yeah, I would just encourage all of you to get out uh, and connect with other folks who are doing, uh, doing good work. So with all that, uh, I'll just say we are uh, learning as much as we are failing and succeeded in this process. Uh, building a community of risk, well, has not been without risk, but I suppose that's the point. And uh, we've just seen some amazing shifts with our teachers. Uh, in fact, I believe it was David who yesterday just spoke with a teacher who said, I, I just want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to try things and to fail because it has made all the difference. So uh, really, I think what we want you to take away is it is possible, and it's really, really good for kids, and it's really good for organizations as a whole. Okay, excellent. Uh, great, thank you all so much. Uh, the team there from uh, Arcadia USD, we really appreciate it. Uh, very fascinating um, presentation and everything that you're doing there. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, to our audience here, we'd uh, love to hear from you. Uh, if you have questions, uh, for the team from Arcadia there. Uh, again, please feel free uh, to enter in the Q&A, the bottom right-hand corner there. Uh, a couple quick reminders. Um, if you are interested in uh, accessing the presentation, everyone will be getting uh, a follow-up email with links to the presentation as well as the archive recording, so you'll be able to access those. Uh, if you want to uh, go back over it, or share with anyone on your team. Um, and another reminder here, if you do have a question, just enter in the uh, 
the Q&A at the bottom right-hand corner there. Um, you, you guys covered a, a lot of ground, uh, all sorts of work that you're doing there, uh, supporting, uh, also promoting the work of your educators uh, and your students. Someone asked about uh, what are you doing to support principals' uh, future-ready learning? Uh, I take it to be uh, are, are just asking about are you doing anything in, when it comes to principals in particular? Well, this is David. Uh, I'll comment on uh, the fact that it's kind of building off what Greg shared. And, uh, you know, he talked about that dual operating system. Um, what we're finding is, uh, you know, things are changing uh, faster uh, than ever before um, and at, at, uh, at uh, greater levels. So our principals um, need to be able to lead change and not just manage change. And there's a real difference there. Um, you know, that idea of distributive leadership, um, recognizing that the traditional forms of communication and structure uh, don't always fit, um, and uh, understanding how to maintain and celebrate that, that hierarchy, the traditional hierarchy. Because as we're innovating, one of the things I always remind principals that if, if, you're not, if we're not the very best schools day to day, and that's from the foundation of school safety and et cetera, we won't even have an opportunity to innovate. So it's being able to maintain that hierarchy and what, we're, what we've had a strong tradition at, but also being able to lead these innovative kind of attack groups, we call them. You know, it's rather than this great aircraft carrier that we traditionally are, imagine a thousand little attack boats where you can, you know, shift uh, directions quickly. Uh, you can put the right group of people together, but then you can disband that group when you find a solution. Um, these are the skill sets that uh, we believe our leaders are going to need as we move forward. So really um, studying in depth with them about um, the change theories um, is, is uh, valuable work at this time. Sure, great. Thank you very much. Uh, someone else asks, uh, what are you using to measure your success? Has your graduation rate increased, for example? Um, do you have specific measures of, of success, or, or how do you know that this, this culture change that you're talking about has, has had an impact? How do you measure that? That is a really good question. It's actually one we discuss a lot and debate a lot. So just a little bit about Arcadia. I believe our graduation rate, even before we started this process, was about 98%. Is that about right, guys? Sorry, I'm looking for head nods in the room. Uh, so obviously that that provides a challenge because we know our students still have just some, some great needs and we have those pockets we need to work on, but your traditional uh, district-wide measures haven't been quite as successful for us. Uh, one of the things we've done a lot is engagement surveys to see how engaged the students are, whether they feel connected. Uh, student connectedness is a huge one. Uh, in our district, we have kids who are doing amazingly well in the traditional measures, but they don't necessarily feel connected, so we've really pushed into that area. Well, something I just want to add is that it was on our partnership slide. Um, we partnered with a company called Thought Exchange. And uh, basically what they provide is, is an ongoing uh, opportunity for digital conversations uh, with our community. Um, very different than a traditional survey, which we control and it's one way and people never sure where the answers go. It's a very transparent, ongoing process where parents can, um, or community members, staff can um, share their ideas, their concerns and their words. And then um, the, the main themes, people that uh, agree with those um, kind of emerge and uh, we have ongoing conversations about that. We also just recently um, partnered with a, a gentleman that's a head of research on um, local university that's gonna come in and create measurable um, 
tools, uh, tools for us to measure our values. We've struggled with that. You know, we've struggled with how do you uh, quantify uh, empathy? You know, how, how do you demonstrate that we're more empathetic this year than we were last year? Uh, just, you know, just kind of sharing uh, our struggle with that. And so, uh, we, you know, that's where we've had to partner with someone um, that does that for a living. They're an expert at that, and they're going to come in and kind of audit us on our values uh, by site and by district office. You know, it's uh, being vulnerable. Um, is something that we recognize as the path to building uh, trusting relationships with our teachers and our community. Um, so, you know, the more transparent we are about our processes and engaging everyone in that, um, the, the quicker success we're going to have. Sure, great. Thank you. Um, this question came in, I believe, uh, during Greg's portion. Uh, you were talking about the, the lab school, uh, and someone just said, I'd like to hear more about that lab school. Uh, did you say it's 60 middle school students, um, first question, and then what things have you tried out there that, that you have then taken to scale? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's actually uh, about 32 uh, middle school kids, uh, and we're going to continue with 32 next year. Uh, I say the biggest thing that we're taking to scale right now is our use of the alt school platform. Uh, we tried it with some kids down the lab school. We also did a small pile of the middle school. Over the next three years, we're going to scale with it across the district. Uh, so that's really going to help us uh, put a, uh, a management system uh, around our personalized learning approach. Some of the other things I'll say that we're mid-process on is we've done a lot of flexible furniture and seating down there. Uh, kids have the ability to go sit wherever they want for the most part in the room. Uh, we laugh that if you go down to the uh, lab school three times in a day, you're going to uh, see three completely different room configurations. Uh, and it's not just the, the teachers who are doing that. It's uh, the kids who are, are blowing it up. Uh, so I'd say that's one that we're going to be tackling next year is what does flexible furniture and seating look like across the district. I'll jump into is that uh, one of the things, you know, the goal of our personalized platform is, is student agency. I mean, that's ultimately the goal. We want students to own their learning uh, and to be in control of it. So a great example is uh, we had students that uh, wanted to take part in some elective classes back at their home school before they came to our lab school. Um, they were able to figure it out, and uh, we are uh, we partnered with a uh, hop, skip, and drive. Uh, it's like an Uber company for parents, or for parents, and uh, I mean for kids. And uh, so our students are able to uh, go out and uh, hail a, a Uber, so to speak, for them and uh, get to, a, to one of our other schools, participate in elective, and get back. Um, and uh, all of that's being uh, basically driven by the students. And, and that's, you know, again, for seventh graders, I think back to, you know, when I was in seventh grade, I, it wouldn't have even been a thought that I had the ability to think like that, solve a problem like that. Uh, and, and not dare bring it up. But for our students, um, they're recognizing that uh, they, they do have the agency to, to drive their own learning. So we're just trying to, it's stretching us as an organization to figure out how to solve all those uh, issues. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, great, thank you. Uh, just a quick reminder to our audience here, we're getting some questions in the chat window there. Uh, if you would go ahead and put those in the Q&A, uh, it makes it, uh, easier to get to and more organized for us. So again, questions in the Q&A uh, rather than the chat window. Uh, thanks to everybody who's been submitting questions. We have a whole bunch more here. Um, let's see, there, uh, there are a few here asking basically about um, how did you get buy-in with uh, staff and students in the community and, and what do you do with uh, if you encounter pushback uh, from people? So kind of 
hitting a few questions uh, at once there. Uh, Buy-in, and what do you think about pushback? Well, again, I think I, I hit on it, but I want to reemphasize that um, it's, a, it's about the transparency and, and identifying um, these directions with the community and with the staff. So none of these things are top-down, decided in a room, and then pushed out. Um, they're, they're collectively um, identified um, through, like I said, our, our partnership with Thought Exchange. You know, these comments come to the surface and, and, and it, people uh, quickly jump on it and say, yes, you know, this is the direction we want. Um, we take a lot of times that information from those uh, digital conversations and then we have good old-fashioned face-to-face conversations, but the starting point isn't what do you think, like the old days, it's like let's look at this data. We have 2,000 parents that agree with this, you know, that say we should be looking at competency-based learning. Um, all right, you know, let's, what does that look like if we were a district? What are the, what's the roadmap to, to get there? And um, for parents, what's the roadmap for teachers, for students? And uh, it's a journey together. So it's sometimes slower than you would like. Um, sometimes you hit road bumps and you have to stop and bring along parents or, you know, a certain group that, that's not up with everyone else. Uh, and then you have to be courageous. Uh, you know, the, the natural tendency is to keep doing what you're doing. And uh, once we have the data that supports us um, and, and everyone's been a part of that and everyone can see it, then we have the courage to move forward and uh, we just keep moving forward. Um, and, and like I said, at that point it's a process because, you know, it's not, you, you have to be flexible enough to, to know that it's not like you said, it's going to happen in one year or it's going to happen in two years. Um, you set the goals and then you just keep moving toward it. Sure, sure, makes sense. Thank you. Um, uh, you talked about a lot, a lot of uh, innovation and uh, trying some uh, all kinds of different things in the district. Uh, someone asked about uh, specifically scheduling. Have you made any changes to uh, master schedules or, or how you set up uh, schedules? You might have mentioned that. I, I can't remember. Yeah, so uh, the lab school, again, is uh, really kind of an incubation space and, and a test space for that. Uh, as David mentioned, we have students who said, you know, I really want to go back to my school to be part of choir, to be part of ASB. Uh, so we've experimented with what does a flexible schedule look like? Um, can a student, you know, get the content they need if they're not in there for a sit-and-get session and they're over at another school? So we've experimented with a lot of different ways to do that. And for the most part, it's been very successful. Uh, we're interested in exploring pretty much all kinds of new iterations around that. Uh, you know, can a student operate at their own pace, uh, not just through the course of the day, but through the course of the semester? Uh, I'd say most of that has happened at the lab school so far, even though uh, actually most, uh, a few of our schools actually have different types of master schedules, so we already have some variation there. So I'd say it's something we're definitely heavily experimenting with in the lab school, and we may look at scaling that out over time. Sure, thanks. And you might have alluded to this as well. Someone asked about uh, has your culture affected uh, staff morale positively, uh, specifically uh, your teacher retention? Um, and if so, what, what do you think specifically uh, impacted that? Um, you talked about, I think, promoting the work of your educators. Uh, Ryan was talking about that. Uh, you think this has impacted staff morale and, and teacher retention? It absolutely has. Um, it's it's very exciting. It's an exciting time. Um, you know, a lot of people 
are hesitant and, and fearful of, of change and what's coming down. But for, for me, uh, superintendent, this is the first time in my career that um, we've really been able to create uh, as professionals. And I'll give an example of um, our partnership with ALT. Um, our teachers are sitting side by side with some of the best computer engineers in the world uh, that left Google um, because of their passion for education. And they're co-creating uh, this platform with the direct input of our teachers, watching them teach the interactions between the student and the teacher because it is our belief that if technology is used effectively, um, it operates in the background and it maximizes the time between a teacher and a student. You know, 100%, that's our goal. Um, we want to retain that magic that happens there. Um, so, you know, I've never seen that. You know, again, it goes back to who we partner with, where we used to just buy a program and we, we say here, and there's some good parts, there's some bad parts, but it is what it is, and then when you're done with it, you, you move on. So this concept to have a trajectory uh, that grows with a partner, an enterprise company that's co-creating something that our teachers get to be a part of, that's exciting. And, you know, the right people, the right professionals that are passionate about um, our kids' future, their future, not ours, um, that's going to look very different. There, this, is an, this is a great time to be an educator because you get to actually be in and on the ground level of creating and reimagining what education is going to look like. I'll jump in and say also on our purpose statement and values process that we went uh, through, I don't know if we mentioned it, but at the very end of that process, uh, we put out a survey and uh, around 95% of the people, uh, staff in our district said, I believe in those, that purpose and I believe in those values. So as you can imagine, starting with that, that true north about how we're operating has really put everyone on the same page and people feel safe that uh, we're doing this together with the same operating parameters. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Uh, well, that's uh, a wonderful note to, uh, to end on. Uh, unfortunately, we've reached the, uh, the top of the hour here. And I just want to be uh, respectful of everybody's time. I think we get uh, just about all of our questions. Thanks so much to uh, everyone in our audience who submitted a question. We really appreciate you being a, a part of the conversation here. Uh, and, of course, uh, on behalf of district administration, I'd like to thank uh, the team from Arcadia uh, there, David, Scott, Ryan, and Greg. Thank you all so much for being with us uh, and sharing your uh, expertise and your story with us. Thank you again to our sponsors, uh, Acer and Intel, for their generous support of our seminar here. And, of course, to you, our audience, thank you as well for joining us today. I do hope you found our seminar informative and useful to you. Producing events like this one is just part of our mission here at DA to inform school district leaders like you about the latest news and trends in K-12 management. You'll find more coverage about issues such as the ones we discussed here in the pages of our monthly print magazine and our digital edition and website, as well as uh, additional web seminars and our email newsletters, which include DA Daily and District CIO.